All right, all right. I'm man, your host, Martin Wilson. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Gospel Truth. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, as I said already, and I am thankful for being in front of you today. And today we're going to have a fantastic debate. And I have Swenson Bailey and I have Andrew Harrison, and we are going to be discussing the fall and the Book of Mormon. And we are going to have a fun discussion. But before I bring these guys in, I do want to encourage you to subscribe to The Gospel Truth. Make sure you hit the notification bell. That subscribe button and notification bell so you miss out on any shows that are coming up here on the gospel truth here in the future also if you don't know uh various forms of tgt ministries on other social media platforms we got facebook twitter or x uh, Instagram and TikTok so make sure you flow over to those platforms as well and give a follow subscribe on those platforms as well also if you already don't, don't know uh, this content is on audio as well iTunes Google Play and Spotify so make sure you flow over there to the podcast and subscribe and follow to the podcast as well and uh, yeah and that's it as far as that goes but also always have some announcements coming up here shows that are coming up here in the future that i do want you guys to be aware of all right coming up after this not right after this but in a couple days i do have an open panel discussion concerning the trinity and i will have matt slick on with me and he will be taking on all oncomers including myself as well we'll be taking on all comers uh not trinitarian uh our opponents those who disagree with the trinity so if you are up for an open panel discussion concerning the trinity make sure you come and hit it up join the stream join the conversation this is going to be i believe on the 24th of this month so make sure you jump on and join us on this stream then after that, I have God Logic, Avery John Austin all uh, coming on. He's going to be debating Taylor Stewart. Does the Bible teach Unitarianism? So hopefully you guys are looking forward to this one as I am. This should be a fun-filled debate. And both of the guys, Taylor Stewart has been on before. Avery, John, Avery, Avery Austin has not been on before. This will be a first-time go-around. Uh, he's also known as God Logic Apologetics on YouTube and on TikTok. So make sure you flow over there and check him out. Then after that, I have so, uh, Solar Scripture Debate, William Albridge versus John Cameron. And we are going to have a fun debate, another a fun debate here as well. Solar Scripture Debates are always entertaining and fun to have. So hopefully you will be open to joining us on this debate as well. And then after that, I have the, does the, 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 son, the, the son existed with the father. That's going to be the topic of this debate. Dr. Michael Burgos, John David Barton going to be jumping on and have another great debate and so hopefully you guys are looking forward to that one and i've been pressing this for a while we have a media fundraiser we are doing for media equipment uh the gospel is trying to raise funds to take on the road when we go into different venues we don't have to rely on those venues uh equipment to do what we do we are able to support our own efforts and so i'm asking for you guys to if god is putting your heart to uh, support the ministry for through the fundraiser if you're interested you can look in the link in the description of this video and you will see the fundraiser link click on that and it'll take you to the fundraiser page and please help the ministry if you can obviously no pressure to do so but if you can please do that all right that said uh once again i am excited for this debate and i am thankful be, to have this debate because this is not a topic that's usually on the gospel truth um as i said before i don't get a lot of uh mormons or those who um are part of the the, the latter-day saints come on the gospel truth i had some i'm not gonna say i have had none but i've had some but nowhere near as many as i would like right i think i had quaker l uh i think i had jacob hansen 
and I think I had a, a, another couple, but not as many as I would like. And so uh, we, we're, we're, we, today we have Swenson Bailey, and Swenson Bailey is a part of the Latter-day Saints as well. And so and he's going to be Andrew Harrison. So let me bring these guys in so we can get into the premise of this debate and allow these guys to introduce themselves first. Uh, what's up, fellas? How y'all doing? Good. Hello. How you doing, Marlon? Good, good, good. Glad you guys have joined me today. And we're once again, are going to have a fun debate. Um, this is a topic that's not usually debated much. I haven't seen much debates as it concerns uh, uh, Mormonism or Latter-day Saints movement with as it concerns the fall of man. So this is going to be an interesting topic um, and one that I hope will be uh, viewed and listened to and studied for years to come if not anywhere else, but certainly here on the Gospel Truth. So I'm glad to have you guys here to debate this topic. Uh, before we get into it, I do want to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves to the audience. So starting with Swenson, uh, go ahead, give a quick introduction to yourself, tell them what you do, blogs, YouTube channels, such and such, so people can come check you out, all right? Uh, go ahead, you got it. Well, thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm Swenson Bailey, and I'm just uh, kind of like an average Joe member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I do want to say that uh, everything I share today are my own thoughts and opinions. And um, yeah, it's just uh, here trying to, I guess, share what I feel to be correct. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. It's very small and it's just, you know, niche stuff that I find interesting and stuff that relates to the Book of Mormon and uh, my church. So it's called Read It Bomb. So read it and then B-O-M for Book of Mormon. And that's my YouTube channel. And uh uh, yeah, the, the most important things in my life, though, is I'm married to my beautiful wife, and I have two children, and uh, it's two children, and they're two and under, and so it's crazy for her, and I'm so thankful that uh, she gives me time to do stuff like this, and she takes care of them during the day while I'm working, so she's amazing, and yeah. All right, thank you so much, uh, Swenson, for coming on. Appreciate you. All right, Andrew, if you don't mind, go ahead and give a quick introduction to yourself as well, buddy. Hey, I'm Andrew Harrison, and uh, I run the YouTube page Last Hour Apologetics, and then I also run a drum channel here on YouTube uh, uh, labeled under Monkey Jack One. So if you're into drum covers and drum stuff, you're more than welcome to check that out. Um, but I just want to again, you know, thank Swinson for coming on here and his valuable time to debate this important topic, and once again for Swin um, uh, Marlin for hosting this debate. All right. Thank you guys once again for reaching out to me to be able to host this debate. I definitely appreciate it. And this is going to be a fun debate. Uh, so the exact premise of this debate is was the fall necessary as taught by the Book of Mormon? So as you guys in the live chat see the topic up there in the little overhead there, the fall and the manic man in the Book of Mormon. The exact premise is was the fall necessary as taught by the Book of Mormon? And um we're, we're, we're going to have a fun, fun, fun debate with this one, man. So we're going to get into this topic. Uh, the format of this debate is 12-minute opening, 6-minute rebuttals, 30-minute cross-sex, which is going to be about 15 minutes each, uh, each of you to lead with questions. And then we're going to have 5-minute closings, and then we're going to have 30-minute Q&A. Uh, Swenson, you are arguing the affirmativist debate, and then Andrew, you are arguing the negativist debate. And so, Swenson, you will be going first in this debate. So let me set you up. Once again, you don't have a PowerPoint or anything, right, Swinson? Uh, no, I'm just going to be reading my, uh, okay. opening up my phone. Okay, cool. All right. I will get you going. And remember, I don't think I went through it with you guys yet, but this little chime will be mm -hmm. the one minute chime, letting you know you have one minute left in your presentation. That goes for your openings, your rebuttals, and your closing. 
So that gives you an indication of, hey, start wrapping up your presentation with that one money chime there, all right? Sounds good, thank you. All right, I will, let me get your time ready to go. Let me get it here. Make sure I get it real quick. All right. All right, Swenson, you got it for 12 minutes and I'll start your time and you begin to speak. Okay. Is the fall necessary as taught in the Book of Mormon? My, my objective isn't to get you to believe the Book of Mormon, even though everyone should read it and ask God if it is truly his word. Rather, my objective is to share the concept or teaching of the fall that is found in the Book of Mormon and show how it is true. Second Nephi 2 explains that to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, God used the fall as part of his plan for humanity. Speaking specifically about the fall, it states, But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. The fall was done in God's wisdom, he knowing that it would bring about his eternal purposes, the immortality and eternal life of man through Christ. This means God saw the fall to be of greater benefit for man than having them stay in the garden state forever, a state of sheltered innocence. Latter-day Saints see the fall as a step downward, aka a fall, yet also as a step forward towards God's ultimate goal. There are two main reasons the Book of Mormon gives for this. First, because of the fall, every human gets the ability to choose to freely choose to accept or reject Christ in order to be saved through him. Each person gets to show their faithfulness. Uh, quote, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy, and the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. Wherefore, men are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. Second, the fall provides the conditions whereby men can learn and grow something the garden state didn't offer. Quote, for it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Had Adam not fallen, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. With this laid out, let's see if any mainstream Christians agree with the Book of Mormon's teaching about the fall being necessary. Quote, O truly necessary sin of Adam! destroyed completely by the death of Christ. O happy fault that earned so great, so glorious a Redeemer. This is a quote from the Catholic Exalted, which is part of the annual Easter Vigil. Here we have the Catholic Church each year while praising the victory of Christ, acknowledging that the only reason we have so glorious a Redeemer is because of the fall. Without the fall, we don't need nor get a Redeemer. Hence, the powerfully deep exclamations, O truly necessary sin of Adam, Oh, happy fault. This idea is known as felix culpa, meaning happy fall, blessed fall, or fortunate fall. In short, felix culpa is the belief that there were powerful positives to the fall that logically could only have happened because of the fall, the most obvious being our redemption through Christ Jesus. Um, St. Ambrose shared these ideas. He is reverenced as a saint in both Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, Eastern Orthodox being my opponent's preferred faith tradition. Ambrose is known uh, to have been an influence of the exalted that I just quoted. Here are a few quotes from Ambrose. Quote, I thank the Lord our God who created such a marvelous work in which to find his rest. I read that he created man and that at this point he rested having a being whose sins he could forgive. Quote, my fault has become for me the price of redemption, through which Christ came to me. 
For me, Christ has uh, tasted death. Transgression is more profitable than innocence. Innocence made me arrogant. Transgression made me humble. Uh, quote, the Lord knew that Adam would fall and then be redeemed by Christ. Happy ruin that has such a beautiful reparation. Uh, quote, we who have sinned more have gained more because our, your grace makes us more blessed than our absence of fault does. Um, quote, evil, in fact, has a utility within itself and even, evil has even insinuated itself into the saints by the providential will of the Lord. Uh, I repeat, evil has even insinuated itself into the saints by the providential will of the Lord, evil being a consequence of the fall. G uh, Cardinal Giacomo Biffi, a, formal, a former Archbishop of Bologna and scholar on Ambrose, taught sin has its own valuable positive character in God's plan. His idea here is clearly influenced by his knowledge and work on Ambrose. This can clearly be seen as he explains, according to Ambrose, God creates the universe for man and creates man in order to be merciful. It cannot be said that he creates man as a sinner or in order that he should sin, but it must certainly be said that the ultimate rest of Christ in his redemptive death and manifestation of divine mercy represent the ultimate and highest meaning of creation. That last part uh, of this quote is known as the paradox of Felix Kulpa. God didn't create man as a sinner or that he should sin, but it was the fall that brought about the ultimate and highest meaning of creation, Christ's in, uh, incarnation and atonement. Uh, my opponent, Andrew, will most likely try to argue along the lines that you can't have the fall without sin. So if the uh, so if the fall is necessary, then sin is necessary. My response is simple. Is Christ's incarnation, redemptive sacrifice, and resurrection not the ultimate and highest meaning of creation? Uh, if not, then what is? If it is, as I hope any Christian would, would agree, how else could that infinite and sacred event have taken place without the fall? It couldn't. Arthur Lovejoy, in his paper Milton and the Power and the Paradox of the Fortunate Fall, explains this better, saying, um, "Yet, if the fall had never occurred, the incarnation and redemption could never have occurred. No devout believer could hold it would have been better if man's salvation had never taken place, and consequently, no such believer could consistently hold that the first act, the fall, the event from which all the rest of it sprang, was really to be regretted." Thus, Adam's sin, and also indeed the sins of his posterity in which it occasioned, um, were the necessary condition both of a greater manifestation of the glory of God and of immeasurably greater benefits for man than could conceivably have been otherwise obtained. John Wesley expresses quite similar sentiments. For if Adam had not fallen, Christ had not died. Nothing can be more clear than this, nothing more undeniable. The more thoroughly we consider the point, the more deeply we shall be convinced of it. Unless all the partakers of human nature had received that deadly wound in Adam, it would not have been needful for the Son of God to take our nature upon him. Wesley also concludes that without the fall, there could have been no such thing as faith in God, thus loving the world, giving his only son for us. There could have been no such thing as faith in the son of God as loving us and giving himself for us. Um, after acknowledging that evil came because of the fall, Wesley explains, had there neither been um, natural nor moral evil in the world, 
uh, what must have become of patience, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering. It is manifest that they could have had no being, seeing that these have evil for their object. If therefore evil had never entered into the world, neither could these have had any place in it. Uh, okay, moving on to issues that arise if the fall was, wasn't necessarily part of God's plan. The problem from creation. Stepping into the classic Christian worldview, I contend the only logical and consistent view is that God created with the fall being a necessary part of his plan. The classic theist concept of God sees him as all-powerful, all-knowing, all-etc., being outside of space, matter, and time. Such a being creates without any outside pressure and can create whatever it deems fit. This means God had limitless possibilities of what to create, yet he created this universe, this world, and this reality. However, with limitless possibilities, God could have created other possible worlds which would have been just as valid as the one we live in. A possible world is a complete and consistent way the world could have been. In other words, decisions made in this world could be different in another world. Uh, understanding this, we see that God could have created a possible world in which at, he foreknew Adam and Eve would freely make the decision not to yield to the temptation of the devil and therefore stay in the garden. Such a world would have been just as valid as the one we live in now. Um, you might ask, would that not destroy Adam and Eve's free will, essentially having God make their decision for them? Well, in this world, didn't God foreknow that Adam and Eve would without a doubt freely choose to fall? When he created this reality instead of another, was that not him making their decision for them? The only question to be asked is, why did God choose this reality over the one where they didn't fall? Logically, it's because this reality is the only one that would bring about his purposes, his will. In other words, the fall brought about his will for humanity. Okay, again, into some theological issues. One, if the fall wasn't necessarily, um, if the fall wasn't necessary, Jesus Christ's incarnation and atonement would, by necessity, have been Plan B. If God wanted Adam and Eve to stay in the garden, then logically Christ was Plan B. Yet the Bible explains in Ephesians one four through five that it was always God's predestined plan, Plan A, for us to be made holy, blameless, and adopted through Christ, thus making the fall necessary. Remember, Christ and his redemptive death and manifestation of divine mercy represent the ultimate and highest meaning of creation. Two, if the fall isn't necessary, then God at first didn't want man to be saved by faith, but rather wanted them to simply rely on their own works. Um, Adam wasn't commanded to have faith as we are, but simply not to eat of the fruit. It's interesting how God's command for us individually to have faith is a better test of character than Adam's command to not partake of the fruit. Three, if the fall wasn't necessary, then logically God didn't want to give every human free will to test their faithfulness or obedience, rather just Adam and Eve. This means that only Adam and Eve would have had free will. The mainstream view of the fall claims that had Adam not fallen, he and his descendants would have uh, would still be in the state of innocence. Um, how could God ensure Adam's descendants remain perfectly innocent? Um, was it God's plan not to give them free will? The Christian uh, theologian Alvin Plantinga argues God could not create beings with free will that could never choose evil. Logically, if the mainstream view is correct, the only humans that uh, with free will are Adam and Eve. Um, but we are told that God's love caused him to create Adam and Eve with free will. So, um, 
uh, with free will. So they could choose, but he simply takes that away from their posterity. If you say, no, their children would have had free will, then you are saying that they themselves could have done evil and fallen, thus creating fallen and unfallen humanity, which causes its own problems. The only consistent view is that God loved us uh, so that he wanted all of humanity to have free will. And through the fall, all of humanity could be born and freely choose to have faith in Christ unto salvation or not. Um, for if the fall wasn't necessary, how could humans have learned to be patient, humble, charitable, long-suffering, or have long-suffering, um, etc.? The Bible tells us to seek after and acquire these attributes. Um, remember, John Wesley said, if therefore um, no evil had entered into the world, neither could Christ-like attributes um, have had any place in it. The fallen world provides the conditions required to obtain these divine attributes. Would God simply give these attributes to humans um, in paradise unearned? Um, remember, Ambrose said, transgression, transgression is more profitable than innocence. Innocence made me arrogant. Transgression right. made me humble. All right, cool. Thank you so much for that opening. All right, Andrew, you're up for your 12-minute opening, and I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. All right. So, in order to get to the foundation of our disagreement, I want to promote the common ground we of the historical Christian faith have with the Mormon view of the fall, so we don't pa talk past each other. We both believe that God foreknew the fall would happen, we both believe that because of the fall, sin and death entered the world, and we both agree that Christ came to reconcile us to God from the fall's actions. Last, me and Swinson agree that through all that life brings, good or bad, we can become stronger. Now, the contention arises when we ask, was the fall necessary? My position on this is a negative. I do not believe, as the debate topic asks, that it was necessary according to the Book of Mormon. I say this for a few reasons. According to 2 Nephi 2.25, Adam's fall allowed for the existence of man. The Book of Moses adds to this and tells us that this was part of God's plan to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life. Consequently, the fall was Adam and Eve's disobedience and their sin against God. The LDS believe that's necessary for humanity to know joy and to have immortality and eternal life. Romans 5.12 points out that it was through one man's sin that death entered the world. So, 2 Nephi 2.25 could rightly say, Adam disobeyed and sinned against God that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. In the Do Doctrines of the Gospel Student Manual, page 21, we read, quote, When Adam was sent into the world, uh, it was with the understanding that he would violate a law, transgress a law, in order to bring to pass this mortal condition we find ourselves in today. The Lord designed that they should do this. The fall of man was the means of furthering the purposes of the Lord and the progress of man, rather than as a means of hindering them. We could rightly rephrase the debate topic and the meaning would stay the same, like, was disobeying God necessary according to the Book of Mormon? And by asking, is the fall necessary according to the Book of Mormon, we are really arguing, is disobeying God necessary to be like him and to know joy? The answer to this is an emphatic no. No matter what the LDS position is, they know that disobeying God is never okay. Yet that is exactly the reason God ordained the fall to happen and is precisely the reason Adam and Eve came down to earth to begin with. They knew they were coming down to disobey God by transgressing and violating God's commandment. Would you believe me if I told you? I need to go to that I need to go rob that store because God told me so. You probably would say no. God said you're not allowed to steal. And I said, I know he said not to steal, but he still commanded me to do it anyway. If you wouldn't believe me, why should we believe Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon that this is what God wanted? 
The LDS believe that Adam and Eve's deci decision to eat the fruit was important for those in the pre-mortal life to have physical bodies. But Abraham 3.25, which concerns all of us in the pre-existence who are going to come to earth to get a body, God says, and we will prove them therewith to see if they will do all the things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. Following that, God also says to not eat the fruit. If our goal is to prove ourselves by following God, it seems contradictory to start by disobeying him. The question that arises is why Adam and Eve were sent to the world to test if they would follow God when their first task was to disobey him. How can we trust the Book of Mormon when there's an outright contradiction like this? What are they supposed to do? Follow God and not eat the fruit and disobey him or follow God, eat the fruit and disobey him? If the start is wrong, the rest is too. Is disobeying God ever okay? No. Therefore, the fall was unnecessary because it is never necessary to disobey God. Another part to bring up is the idea of opposites that the Book of Mormon talks about, mainly in 2 Nephi. 2 Nephi 2.11 basically says that in order for a body to fully exist, we must have a duality of happiness and misery, corruption and corruption, life and death. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to exist. But another issue is in verses 12 and 13, where if there wasn't a duality, God wouldn't exist. And if you shall, and it says, and if you shall say there is no law, you shall say there is no sin. And if you shall say there is no sin, you shall say there is no righteousness. And if there is no righteousness, there be no happiness. And if there be no righteousness nor happiness, there be no punishment nor misery. And if these things are not, there is no God. Not only is God supposedly dependent on all these outside factors to exist, which contradict his uh, self-existent nature, but the Book of Mormon's reasoning is not consistent in many other ways. Here's three reasons. One, the Book of Mormon asserts that had they not eaten the fruit, they would have stayed in the garden and remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. The idea, though, that we must first do something bad to do something good is inconsistent and, to me, completely wrong. I don't need to experience misery to appreciate joy either. Is there ever an example of this? The Book of Mormon suggests that Adam and Eve were like emotionless, clean slates, only awakened by the stain of sin and transgression, similar to touching a hot stove, except they were doing good before eating the fruit. They were told to eat of all that is in the garden and subdue the earth, but to stay away from one tree. So were they not obeying God before eating of the one tree? Were they not perfectly righteous because of that? Their righteousness was evident in their act of obedience to God before Satan tempted Eve. Number two, the Book of Mormon asserts that they would have had no children if they did not eat the fruit. This is a problem because of Genesis 128. It says, and God blessed them and God said to be fruitful and multiply and, and uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Why were Adam and Eve prevented from procreating even though that was one of God's initial instructions? How could Adam and Eve fulfill the command to multiply if they couldn't have children before the fall? I can't find reasons why, uh, behind why God would ask them to have children knowing full well they couldn't fulfill that task. Even worse, he made it possible only after disobeying him and introducing sin and death. Well, why is that a prerequisite? Are we to believe that only with our fallen nature that we can have children? If so, what does that say about God in the world? Before the fall, they were paradoxically disobeying God's command while also obeying another. To add, God punished Eve with painful childbirth. He says, I will surely multiply your sin in childbearing, or multiply your pain in childbearing, 
in pain you shall bring forth children. God says he'll multiply her pains, as if there was already some pains present during childbirth. If this wasn't happening pre-fall, then why would God punish her with something she never experienced? Why would, she, why would he add upon or add to if it was not possible in the garden? This doesn't fit well with 2 Nephi 2.23. They knew both righteousness and unrighteousness of obeying God's command to not eat the fruit and disobeying God of not having children. If they refused to eat the fruit, they would have prevented God's plan in the book of Moses to happen because no one could come to earth and be like God. This continues post-fall when having eaten the fruit, they have, they have both obeyed and disobeyed God. They obeyed God because now, through sin and transgression, they can procreate, and they disobeyed God for eating the fruit. But does this make sense? Basically, Adam and Eve had to disobey God to obey God. Unless they partook of the fruit, they could not have children. But God commanded them not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So really, the contradiction in the Mormon belief seems to be in the commandments God gave them. Multiply and don't eat, but you can't multiply until you eat. And three, we not only have knowledge of one individual who skipped the experience of the fall, but three altogether. According to Mormonism, we are the same species as God. So this is as if three family members transcended the need to be birthed just because they needed to be the ones who caused all others to be birthed. It makes no sense. Jesus is a clear example. He was God before becoming flesh and never experienced sin, transgression, or evil that made him who he is. Despite this being required for everyone else, it wasn't required for him, even though he's our literal brother, according to LDS theology. The Holy Spirit is another example. Just like Jesus, he never had to experience a fall of his own, nor does he need a body to be born like us. He was and is still God. And finally, the Father. I'm sure Swinson agrees that the Father never sinned or was contingent on a ramification of a fall to know all that he knows. <coughs> Excuse me. We know of three different subjects in the Mormon cosmology that never had to experience sin, death, and unrighteousness to be who they are. The Bible says, though, all have fallen short, but for us, that's necessary to be like God, who is our literal father, but not for them. They never needed to know sin or commit sin to know righteousness. They never needed to disobey a God's command either. Either Second, Nephi 2.23 never applied to them, and I, there's really no reason for that. They, all, they were already perfectly righteous. Yet their smartest plan was to force Adam and Eve between a rock and a hard place to do something they never had to do themselves. In order for us to be like God, Adam and Eve had to disobey him first. If you're scratching your head wondering how this makes sense, I'm right there with you. An alternative position, I believe is correct, melts together without the act of disobeying God being a necessary step for growth. It enables the understanding of good and evil without relying on disobedience, but through God's timing and obedience. Father Seraphim Rose points out that there must be a choice. You must consciously will to do good. You can't simply be good because someone tells you to be good. Your freedom must choose the good to, be, to be, become a part of you. Through the mistakes of others or through ourselves overcoming evil, we can have knowledge of good and evil. What could have happened was if Adam had resisted this temptation, he would have realized it was a temptation. He would realize, too, that everything isn't perfect. There's something or someone out to get him. And as a second temptation would have come, he would have seen there is something out to make him fall. He would have realized, too, there is such a thing as evil and an evil will which wants to make him lose his paradise. Through this, he would have obtained that knowledge of evil and eventually tasted of that tree. The other is he learns about evil through, through disobeying the commander. By choosing the way of sin, he discovers in bitter experience the knowledge of good and evil. 
well, the Book of Mormon, and consequently the Mormon Church has it all wrong. What was necessary was the test. The test promotes growth, whether you fail or pass. If only failing the test achieves the results, then why isn't that always the case? The fall is never necessary, because it's never necessary to disobey God. By making it necessary, the LDS have sealed away any possibility of Adam and Eve to obey God in the garden. If they had obeyed, they would have disobeyed another command and been stuck in a never-ending innocent state, unable to fulfill their duty unless they transgressed their creator, which they weren't supposed to do. To close, their system relies on a flawed premise. 1. Create a world with a need to grow, procreate, and become more like God. 2. The opportunity to do as God wants, such as procreating, being righteous, is only possible if you leave the world garden God created. And 3. God tells Adam and Eve to not eat the fruit, alluding that he doesn't want them to stay in the garden with the, with, uh, with the inability to procreate and be righteous. Does that sound like a good plan? I don't think so. I yield my time. All right. Thank you so much for those opening statements, guys. So now we're transitioning to our rebuttal round. And once again, it's going to be six minute rebuttals. And so let me get the time set up here. Uh, let me take that one down and this one's set up here. All Mark, right. Is there a way I can see the, the time? Yeah, it should be in your upper left hand corner uh of the main okay. screen so as i let me put it up there so make sure you're able to see real quick hold on one second you should be able to see it um okay i see it okay all right so i'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak uh, i'd like to thank marlon again for hosting this debate and andrew for being my opponent and inviting me to debate this topic I'm looking forward to Andrew's rebuttal because his opener focused mainly on addressing his understanding of the LDS view of the fall. On the other hand, in my opener, I showed how this isn't an us versus them debate. Um, Well-known Christian figures uh, have also espoused the view of the fall being necessarily part of God's plan. I'm interested to see how he responds to my arguments and prove why classic Christians um can't believe or should believe, well, can't believe the fall as being necessary and should believe it as being not necessary. Um, we Latter-day Saints believe in a pre-mortal life. Adam and Eve and all others were told by God in the pre-existence that in life there would be sin and distance from God. But more importantly, the possibility to tie ourselves to Jesus Christ and have our eternal natures changed through him. Upon birth, we forget our pre-mortal uh, uh, life, thus knowing nothing of possible future sin or possible future salvation, sanctification, and deification through Christ. This allows an individual's actions to be completely based on their own free will. With this said, of course, I agree with Andrew that disobeying God is wrong. Willfully disobeying God is wrong. That's why Adam and Eve fell. They sinned and therefore uh, had to leave God's presence. What Andrew seems to be trying to argue is that because of the Latter-day Saint belief in a pre-existence, Adam and Eve's fall was a premeditated sin on their behalf. However, this isn't the case. Our scripture makes it clear that in the garden, they didn't remember their pre-earth life, nor did they know they were going to sin. Rather, in our scripture, we see that the devil had fallen from heaven and had become miserable forever, and he sought also the misery of all mankind. So he sought to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God. 
wherefore he sought to destroy the world. We see here that it was the devil's intention to destroy God's plan, the reason for his creation, yet he was actually bringing it about, that is, uh, Jesus' victorious uh, atonement and uh, resurrection. Here we have a situation akin to that of Joseph of Egypt, where it was something meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Um, moving on, Andrew asserts that the Book of Mormon teaches that God's existence is dependent on sin and other factors. This is false and clearly a hypercritical reading of the text. I've never seen any Latter-day Saint makes the, uh, make this claim. If need be, I'm willing to address this more in cross or in the Q&A. Next, St. John Chrysanthem, uh, Chrysanthem uh, writes, Man lived on, on earth like an angel. He was in the body, but he had no bodily needs. Like a king, he took delight in the dwelling of paradise, having abundance in everything. Before the fall, men lived in the paradise like angels. They were not inflamed with lust, were not burdened with bodily needs, but created entirely incorruptible and immortal. They did not even need the covering of clothing. This quote gives the classic understanding of paradise, which understanding doesn't allow for Andrew to try and argue that even in the garden or garden state, Adam and Eve could have learned of good and evil or much anything else. Um, paradise was a different reality to what we live in now, so much so that you couldn't learn certain things because they didn't exist there. Where was the sadness, hunger, death, weakness, loneliness, etc.? It didn't exist there. You can't learn about something you, that you can't that can't be comprehended in your reality. Adam and Eve uh, couldn't have stayed in the garden and gained the knowledge they did upon leaving. It's impossible. Uh, next, a uh, question for Andrew. If God commanded Adam and Eve to have children in the garden, then why didn't they um, have children in the garden? Are we to believe uh, that with perfect bodies, conception would be difficult or take time? Uh, I clearly don't agree with Andrew's argumentation about them sinning by not having ch kids in the garden. Uh, he, shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't agree with it either, because otherwise he would himself uh, believe that they were sinning by not having kids, which ricochets his whole point onto his own position, I believe. I might be wrong about that. We'll see. Um, I would simply say that the scriptures imply they didn't know how to have children, being that they weren't in that mindset. Remember, John Chrysanthem said in the garden they didn't have any lusts or bodily needs, and it suggests that they didn't realize they were naked until after eating the fruit. Also, them having kids would have created more issues. Um, it could have led to a divided uh, humanity, some fallen, some not, which would have interfered with the incarnation. Um, remember, John Wesley said, if had not all of man uh, tasted of the that mortal wound in Adam, Christ wouldn't have come to save um, all of man. So that's very important to remember. Um, also, if Eve was pregnant and fell, would the baby who was conceived pre-fall have a fallen nature? Um, that's a big question to be answered. Uh, not to mention the other issues I already uh, presented in my opener about having free will. Um, questions and issues like these are solved by God making it where it wasn't until the fall that Adam and Eve could have kids. Um, uh, just real quick, um, I don't have time, so I, I would address most likely in Cross or in the Q&A his assertion that because we are ontologically, um, I guess, the same quote-unquote species or similar to God, um, that because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit um, did not need the fall to become divine, that we do not. Um, so I can address that later. And with that, I can see my time.
All right, thank you so much, Swenson, for that rebuttal. And now, Andrew, you're up again for your six-minute rebuttal. And I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. All right. Well, Swenson's opener focused on Christ's atonement and emphasized the fall as, a necess as necessary for our redemption. Well, I, I don't disagree. I said so in my opener that this is a common ground we both have. We both agree that Christ came to reconcile us to God from the fall's action. Though the quotes he used to prove that mainstream Christians agree with the Book of Mormon on the fall are simply just begging the question. And no offense, it doesn't seem to really have fully covered the topic. There's more in the Book of Mormon about the fall's necessity than appealing to Christ's sacrifice, of which he never argued in his opener. This is, to me, blatant cherry-picking and quote mining. He's asking you to believe that they hold his beliefs without giving a well-rounded argument. The LDS believed the original sin was not actually serious. Well, they refused to even label it a sin, but that's not what any Christian would say. To use the Felix Culpa, or the happy fault, does not support... Um, it does not support the LDS position, nor does anything he quoted. God created us with free will, so inevitably, humanity would at some point make a terrible choice. Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God was driven by pride, not their desire to uh, escape this innocence or this need that the Book of Mormon Deposits. God could have turned his back on mankind, but offered a very personal sacrifice of himself to rectify, rectify our, our, our sin. Death entered the world through one man, but a new life in heaven came through Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Yes, it's true that Adam's sin was necessary for Christ to come. Nothing about it, though, demands the Mormon position. For God, uh, God foreknew the fall would happen, but did not make it necessary. We don't teach God gave two conflicting commands, nor do we teach that they could pro they, they could not procreate before the fall, thus connecting corruption, sin, and death with sex. Nor do we believe we existed in a pre-mortal life and followed Christ to come down to earth to sin, at, or to disobey God as Adam and Eve. And then Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But that is what the fall was. They tra they transgressed God that grace may abound through Christ's sacrifice. In my introduction, I pointed out the conflicting messages from God. These two mutually exclusive commands are deceptive. In order to reconcile this, Swenson didn't really deny it. Instead, Christ's sacrifice was diminished to a mere rescue mission because since sin is necessary, someone's got to pay the price. We mainstream Christians do not hold to that that specific view. We believe God had every right not to create us based on his foreknowledge and to turn his back, but didn't. And we praise him for that and recognize the good that can come from it. The LDS position, uh, the LDS believe that this is the golden truth, but it's not. They discredit our beliefs as plan B, as Swinson did, insinuating that it blindsided God as if he lacked sovereignty. That's not the case. God gave Adam the freedom to choose to follow or not. St. Irenaeus said God perfectly anticipated in his omniscience the fall of man, offering his sin as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God wants us to grow and to have communion with him. He did not create other gods like himself. Where he is intrinsically good, we are not. We need to learn and grow. Our triune God does not. Allowing Adam and Eve the option of eating the fruit is part of the plan, but it wasn't necessary for them to eat it. There is a difference. The test is necessary, not failing the test. Father Rose pointed 
uh, made a point that there is another approach to knowing good and evil regarding God's timing and resisting temptation, indicating that the fall is not the sole option, though it was it though it did happen and was inevitable. And not to mention, Adam and Eve knew they were coming to earth to disobey God. So just because you don't remember it doesn't mean that it still wasn't premeditated. That's like saying if I was high on uh, drugs and committed a crime, I can say, well, I didn't remember uh, me doing it. So I can't, you know, I can't say, you know, if it was premeditated before me taking it. So it doesn't make sense. They knew they were coming there to do it. They were there for a reason. And also Eve knew what she was doing was bad. She, uh, she said, God has said, you shall not eat of it lest you die. She knew what she was doing was bad. He also said that the garden state didn't offer room to grow. This is a presupposition. This presupposition, this presupposition begs the question. Um, Adam did not have to disobey God to know of good and evil. The temptation happened in the garden. And God says in his word, when you are tempted, he will, uh, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If Adam and Eve had resisted the temptation, would they have missed the opportunity to learn and grow? Why is it necessary they need to disobey God first and leave paradise before growing? God didn't want them to eat the fruit, but that doesn't mean he can't let it happen for a greater purpose. I remember the phrase, they meant, they meant evil, God meant good. God didn't sell Joseph into slavery, nor make it necessary. Rather, he uses our faults and our weaknesses for his purpose. But to say that it's necessary to sin for it to happen is awful. He is, not a, is he not able to use our obedience just the same? God wants all to be saved, yet not everyone will. God said to not eat the fruit, and yet nowhere does it ever say that he wants them to eat it. The Mormon position has God speaking basically from both sides of his mouth, and that's deceptive. The Christian position is obvious. We disobeyed God and followed our own path rather than his. Despite that, Christ still came down to save us, knowing we would do it. None of this had to be necessary. Adam and Eve could have followed God and gotten the results within God's timing. The fact it happened does not then make it necessary. I believe it's just inevitable since we aren't gods. God wants communion with us. That is the plan and that's never changed. All right. Thank you both for those rebuttals and uh, sorry, openings and rebuttals. And so now what we're going to do is that we're going to transition to the cross examination portion of this debate and so once again this cross text to be a total of 30 minutes both of you will get 15 minutes each to ask questions all right so audience as they are transgressing through uh not transgressing but transitioning should i say through this uh interaction make sure you guys are getting your questions in because there will be a 30 minute q a at the end of this debate so get those questions in now so we can have a fun one all right that's it you guys are have the stage and Swenson, you are up first for your 15 minute cross X of Andrew. Awesome. Well, Andrew, I just want to thank you again for being my opponent. So thanks for that. And thanks for inviting me to um, debate on this topic. Of course. Thank you for accepting. Okay. Um, do you believe in the classic Christian worldview? Uh, well, you define what you mean by the classic Christian worldview. Uh, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. So it's um, God is all powerful, all knowing, all loving, and completely sovereign outside of space, matter, and time. Yes. Okay. Uh, did God have any outside pressures upon him when creating? No. No, he didn't. Okay. Did 
uh, do you believe that God's foreknowledge is perfect? That meaning before creating, he knows what will happen within his creation. Of course. Okay. Um, when creating, could God have created whatever he wanted and deemed fit? He would create the the best option possible. And this okay. obviously is the best so, option possible. So could he have created other worlds or realities other than this one if he wanted? Well, I think I, yeah, if he wanted to, but obviously this is this world right here is the one he wanted to create. This is the best option, so I don't I think it's a moot point to argue what is. Well, I mean, so I I agree with you. I'm just I'm just trying to say. So, um okay. Um so basically what you're going with is you're going with the best possible world theory, right? That's that's what you would hold to. Well, yeah. If this is part okay. if God knows everything then he would know of our fall and still allow it and obviously this is for a purpose. Okay. So so this is for a purpose. And okay, so just real quick, uh, just to clarify, so um, Godfrey, uh, what is it, uh, Labiz? Uh, I I forgot his name. It's um, Leibniz. I think that's what he's the guy who kind of came up with the uh, possible world theory, right? Um, so I want to know if you would agree with kind of this idea. Um, so it says uh, now there are an infinity of possible universes in the ideas of God but one of them can exist. There must be a sufficient reason for the choice of God, which determines him to select one rather than another. Would you agree with that? That only one can exist. He's not creating like multiple universes and playing them all out, but he's creating one reality. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So he could have created other things, but there's one reason he created this reality. Well, yes, because this is the this is the one he wants to create. This is the one that that, that can enact his plan, what he wants to okay. put forward. So, him seeing all the possibilities that there are, he could have. That means, I mean, if there's an infinity, like this is this guy who came up with this theory that you're espousing, um, which, by the way, this is also I would say uh, most likely the LDS theory on this too is we. I mean, we believe this is the best possible world for for god and that and we mean it differently than you i would say because we know that the fall was part of his plan right um well i don't i don't say that i don't i don't say that the fall was not part of the plan what my issue is is that it's it wasn't necessary because according to the book of mormon as i laid out um earlier because if god foreknows everything He's going to know that eventually, like I said, it's inevitably going to happen. They're going to fall. So that's why reason why Christ was foreordained um, to come in sin. So I, I'm not saying to say that it, it's not part of his plan or it kind of blindsided. Because I know you mentioned in your um, opener, and I hear it all the time by LDS, that this is supposedly like we believe in a plan B, that it was a backup plan. That's not what we believe. We know that God foreknew the fall would happen. It's just the circumstances around the Christian view of the fall, and especially in the garden state of why they needed to fall, com according you know to the LDS, whereas they were emotional so, not I wouldn't say emotionless, but you know in that innocent state. Okay, well we'll probably get into that in a second, but so um, let's follow this train of thought. 
So who decides which reality or which world, those, I'm using those interchangeably, is best? Is there something outside of God or is God who sees all these possibilities, does he determine which one is the best one? Well, it would be God. I don't. He's the only one that's eternal. Okay. So, because this is, again, this is in the classic Christian worldview. So, sure. Um, so, he determines that. So, he, would you say that in these, like, is his foreknowledge only with this reality? Or with all these other possible realities, did he foreknow the, like what would happen in those i mean obviously you don't know but would you say is god's power limited only to this reality or if he decided to another one was better would he have foreknown what would happen in that one as well oh inevitably i i i i don't know that's to me that just it's just speaking of too much of of what like i understand the the logic behind it but it's like well god could do literally anything but then it's like well why didn't god do this he could have done this. He could have done that. He could have done that. I mean, it's like that can, you know, I understand what you're, you're, you're going for. But like I said, this right here, this reality, you know, and all the infinite possibilities that he could possibly create. This is the one that he chose to create, chose to enact, chose to have his plan, everything. This is it. So, yeah. Okay. So perfectly foreknowing that the fall would happen. Correct. So everything you just said, he, yes. he he chose this one, said this is the perfect one. Okay. So over the other possibilities, which would have been just as – well, I mean, if there had been another one that was just as good, right? Now, uh, question, would you say this this reality is the best because it it best brings about his will? Would you say if there's another reality that would have brought about his will even better, he would have created that one? I, yeah, I don't think we're a subpar uh, creation that for some reason he just settled with us when he could have done something else. Okay, so this is the best reality. And him knowing that without a doubt Adam and he would choose to fall over, let's say, any an infinite possibility. There could be anything in an infinite possibility of realities. So over one where they didn't choose to fall, let's say, because that's within infinity that has to be a possibility a reality where they didn't choose a fall. He chose this one because it would best bring about his free, uh, his will. In well, in what, say yes or no? and in what reality can you say that someone wouldn't fall? That's why I say it's inevitable. When I mentioned like we aren't created gods, we are not intrinsically good. There was there, like I, you know, I, I quoted, you know, Sarah from Rose. It's like, they had to do it like you you're they're not intrinsically good we're not gods like god is so we need to learn and grow and so if god is going to give us that freedom to do it you can label you can say any different possibilities of some world um but you have to have you have to allow them the opportunity to disobey you but the issue is you don't have to then make that that disobeying necessary but you can allow it well but but so I, I guess I guess maybe we came at this debate differently. Okay, so I'm coming at this debate saying, is the fall necessary? And the Book of Mormon teaches that it is. And I think you're coming at this debate, is the fall necessary? As the Book of Mormon teaches specifically, right? I so I well, think that's what the that, but that's similar, the debate topic. Well, no, I know that it says as the Book of Mormon teaches. I'm just coming. Is the fall necessary? 
and the Book of Mormon teaches that it is, right? I know that there's a specific things in the Book of Mormon that you could say, well, that's different from someone else's view of the fall being necessary. But could you say that maybe not as the Book of Mormon teaches, but can someone else believe that the fall is necessary? And would you say they're right or wrong? These Christians it that believe depend- the fall is necessary that I quoted. It would depend. Like I said, I don't, I, I, I don't think they um, reflect your view um, because that's why I said like when they aren't reflect. Like I said, they're not reflecting your view because that's the reason why I brought up the preexistence and these other at these other things because it's not just about Christ. Yes, that's part of the 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 discussion and the reason the fall happened, but it's not just that. The LDS take it a step further. You guys take it a step further by saying, well, they were completely innocent. They knew no joy. They knew no happiness. They knew no righteousness or unrighteousness. And supposedly the only way to get out there um, was to transgress a law. And even more importantly, you know, you guys, you guys have a whole other avenue. You guys have the preexistence. And so supposedly Adam and Eve, or Adam came down to this earth knowing he would disobey. Now, saying that he didn't, he didn't remember because we all have our memories swiped is avoiding it. I mean, he, at that point, was coming oh, down with the intent oh. to disobey him. That's the difference. If another so, Christian were to, were to say that, then I'd be like, no, you're completely wrong. And I would lump them in the same, the same group. Okay, so let's answer this question and we can move on to that. So if another Christian says, I believe the fall is necessary, then you would agree with him that the fall is necessary. It's just that you don't believe the LDS understanding of the fall being necessary. Is that what you'd say? Yes, I would have to understand what their reasoning behind why the fall would be necessary. Um, that's the reason why I'm bringing so they up say other things. If because the fall, If they say the fall didn't happen, Christ didn't, like John Wesley, right? If Adam had not sinned, then Christ had not died. Do you agree with that? Is, is that... Is, is that your position? Well, that's the direct reason why Christ came. I, I agree that that's, that's the only reason why Christ would come is because of that. So I understand our understanding of, again, I guess we came at this a little bit differently, but I understand our understanding of the fall is slightly different, right? But would you say that anyone who says the fall is necessary, that they shouldn't have that opinion because therefore they're saying it's necessary, which means sin is somehow necessary in that act? Or would you agree with them that you're just you're just not agreeing with the LDS because I'm a little confused on that. So I, um, no, a but, guy well, who I said, the Trinity I, well, says, "Hey, the fall is necessary." What do you say? Well, I said in my well, I said in my opener that I want to go ahead and 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 show the comparison between the mainstream view of the fall versus the LDS view in the fall and show how we kind of can have similar views of it. And I specifically said it. I said it in. Uh, so we don't end up well, no, talking no, past each said. other. I said, now but the contention saying... was according to the Book of Mormon. Now, that's what I'm trying to argue about is according to the Book of Mormon. That's what the fall is the fall necessary as according to the Book of Mormon. I agree that the reason why Christ came was because of the uh, of Adam's transgression and his no, that's sin. not what I'm asking. What I'm asking I is, want... is the fall necessary, right? So, like, I understand what you're saying, right? You're saying... Christ came in reality right now because Adam died, right? That's why Christ came. But do you, like was the fall necessary in the I guess a Christian worldview? Would you say that or would you not say that at all? Cuz like that's a topic of like 
that that's a part of the contention because you keep saying well no it's not like god just foreknew that would happen but he he actually wanted them to stay if they would have but he knew they wouldn't so christ came but is the fall necessary because you're not answering the question you're saying well god knows it would fall i am answering the question it's not necessary according to the book of mormon like the debate topic is addressing now the like I, that's what I'm saying. I would need to have a conversation with, with the Christian who was saying, well, the fall is necessary. And generally speaking, if they say the fall is necessary, it's it's along the, the same lines that I'm saying, that God foreknew everything would happen. He foreknew that they would fall. And he, that's, he could still work with our faults, still work with us in that way. You know, I mentioned Joseph being sold into slavery. They meant okay, it for wait, evil. So time's I meant out. it Let's for good. Let's move on to the next topic. Well, so, I mean, that's what, that's what I believe. Too, in a way, like we see that the devil, he wanted to ruin God's plan, but it actually brought it about. So that's that's in LDS specific scripture. So the, um, so the devil did a good thing. Well, I mean, uh, did did I, it was I, 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 that was a question? You don't have to answer that. You don't have to answer that. that I guess yeah. I don't have to. So um, let's see. Um, let's answer this. So if if a prophet prophesies to somebody, right? And says, hey, you're going to commit a sin. If that person just like continues living, are they premeditatedly committing a sin? For example, let me give you an example. So Moses told the Hebrews, Moses told the Hebrews, hey, like when you have kids and you, you cross over this Jordan and you have kids, they're going to go whoring after other gods. He told them that, right? So they, they took that on a prophet of God's word, Okay. They they crossed over the Jordan and they continued having kids. Were they were they premeditatedly allowing for that disobedience to happen? A, a prophet of God told them that. So my I, and I'm asking this real quick, so you know, because you're saying, well, God told them, hey, there's going to be like all we know really is that they knew there's going to be sin and they knew there's going to be distance from God. That's what we know basically in our scripture, right? We don't really know that Adam and Eve was like, yeah, I'm going to go sin for you, God. We don't know that. So. In, in that relation well, to Moses, part he's like, of your hey, stuff. well, I, I understand, you, but again, I, I, I understand that, but I can also see that as being, yeah, God knew they were going to violate a law. Because he told Not, them to. hey, we're, we're saying, well, I, I disagree with that. I don't, I don't say he said, hey, go down and violate this law. I, I would say, hey, this is going to happen. And why that happened? Because the devil tempted them and God knew Well, right happen, here, right, right here. And, and the, the doctrines of the gospel student manual. When, when Adam was sent into the world, it was the understanding he would violate and transgress the law. The Lord designed that they should do this. The Lord designed yes, that they should violate and transgress the law. All right. Well, I guess right. the I Lord designed right that. You'd say, All right, that's time right there, Swenson. Your time has expired. All right, Andrew, you have 15 minutes to cross-examine Swenson. All right, Swenson. Thank you again for doing this. And everything all right so um has jesus always been righteous though he's never sinned or known anything about a fall and never had experience into that was jesus righteousness you know was he righteous yes yeah and you would agree that as long as i follow a commandment i am being righteous right i mean yeah, sure. I mean, every everybody's gonna sins, right? But yeah, sure. As long as you're following the commandments, you're righteous. But okay. We all sin. Now, substitute Jesus 
and I guess me, if I'm following a commandment, but mainly Jesus, with Adam and Eve before eating the fruit. They were sinless, having done no wrong, and they followed God's one commandment until Satan tempted them. Were Adam and Eve, like Christ, also righteous because they committed no transgressions and followed God prior to eating the fruit? Um, so I would say in the eyes of God, then sure, they were probably being righteous. But in their own, like, I guess you're trying to, if I see where you're trying to go, I would say within their own eyes, would they know that they are being righteous? I, I don't know if you could say that they did, right? I mean, you might say that, but how do we know that? Because they didn't, they didn't, they never saw any bad actions. They, in their reality, that didn't exist. That's what I'm trying to say. That's, that's, so, so just be, yeah. So just because they didn't know that they were being righteous, that means they, they weren't righteous. Cause I mean, um, let me see if I can pull it up because it says, um, you know, and Nephi, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy for they knew no misery, doing no good for they knew no sin. They would have, they would have not known righteousness. You know, that's what the book of Mormon says, but yet they were righteous because they, as you admitted, they were righteous because they were abstaining from eating of the knowledge of true of the, of the tree before eating it. So, well, don't you well, think so, that contradicts? Well, I don't because again, um, in in our scripture it says that, um, and I guess you would agree with this: a test was needed, right? And so, um, in our scripture, we we understand that the test is what allowed them to actually have the um, basically the free will. It's like there's two things drawing them, and then they got to choose. Because before that, they're just, you know, they're created and all they know is don't eat a fruit, right? They don't know anything else outside of well, that, they, so, you know. Yeah, I would say, like, you know, Satan coming really umped upped the temptation. Obviously, that was that was a test. But, you know, they could have gone, they could have went over there and waltzed over there and um, ate it if they wanted to. They were abstaining from it before that, so. I, I guess. I mean, possibly, but again, the they were enticed by the devil and there was no enticing beforehand. There's only one one enticing on one side saying, "Hey, don't do it," and they're like, "Well, why, why, why do it if we're not supposed to, right?" But was was Jesus ever enticed in the pre-existence? Um, what about the Father, the I, Father, I, the Holy I, Spirit? I, we don't know. I mean, so is there I mean, someone in the in the, in the eternities? So there's some there's something in the eternities that's tempting the Father. Well, so in, in the eternities, it's it's a different it's a different um, circumstance than in the garden. Those are two different circumstances. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, and then I want to ask you this. Okay. All right. So, do you agree with this statement? I pulled this straight from the LDS website. We command we are commanded to follow God's commandment in Doctrine and Covenants eighty two eight ver eight and ten. We learn that commandments help us understand God's will, and we when we obey them, our actions will turn to us for our salvation. In fact, when we obey God, he is bound to give us all of the blessings he has promised. I'm assuming you agree with that, correct? Yeah, when like if God promises he's going to do something when we when we perform an action, he can't renege on that promise. Okay. So, if following God's commands helps us to understand God's will and adds to our salvation, how does disobeying God per the fall help Adam and Eve understand his will? And add to their salvation. Well, again, because in, like the the garden was like a different reality. That's what I'm trying to say. In that garden, 
it, there were no other enticings. There was there was nothing outside of that. Um, so I, I guess I don't I didn't hear the whole question. But if I'm trying to understand what you're, well, repeat the question because I don't want to make sure I'm answering it correctly. But well, I think that was going. Well, the thing is, you know, when we it, it says when we learn when we learn that commandments help us understand God's will, but yet they disobeyed God's will. How did that help them? Well, so I I don't think it necessarily helped them. Like, but so what I'm trying to say is, um, they got what God willed for them to get by taking the fall, uh, by eating the apple. Right? They were cast out. It's you. This day you eat the apple, you will surely die. And they they were cast out, and they became I guess mortal, as we would say. Um, but did that did that help them? I I don't think it necessarily helped them. They they were breaking the commandment not to eat of the fruit when they ate it. So and I guess in the way of it allowing them to actually know good and evil and experience that and also move into a reality where they could actually experience things and know that things were different from in the garden state, that helped them. Um, okay. I don't know okay. where you're trying to go with that. All right. Well, that's that's it. All right. So does Genesis so, one? So wait, can I can I just answer something real quick? So I, I think a lot of these questions are you're basically implying that God commanded them to eat the fruit in the preexistence. I, I don't believe I don't I agree with that. Now, people in my church might believe so you, that. they probably do. There's probably a number of them. But I don't I don't believe that in the garden in the in preexistence. It was like, hey, you must go and eat this fruit. I personally don't like when I read our scripture. I don't see that. Now, some people might so you, a, agree with that. Oh. Okay, so I just have a hard time rationalizing how that wouldn't have been part of God's commandments. After all, like I said in my opener, like the Lord intended. So you disagree with what I quoted in my opener about the Lord intending that they should go down and, and disobey his commandment. You disagree with that church uh, stance or whatever. Well, I mean, so I, 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 I agree and I gave the example, it's kind of like Moses saying, hey, this is going to happen in the future, right? And so they they were prophesied to like, hey, in life, y'all are going to go down and there's going to be sin, there's going to be distance, right? Now, yes, did but... God say, you will take this fruit and if you don't, you're going to be doing something I don't want you to do? You, you know what I mean? Like, no, I don't, I, we don't know. We don't know, right? Now, that is a commonly held understanding because when you believe the fall is necessary, um, you know, that could be a conclusion. I don't, I don't, agree with that conclusion and there's many others who i've talked to that that don't necessarily have that conclusion and that's a fine thing to say right so okay i okay. i think you're coming at it specifically that with that one understanding but there's room plenty of room for other understanding in in our church and i you know i would say well you know, i understand that but it but, but your but your view contradicts their view so it's like well which one's correct uh, well so um but I, I don't necessarily believe it contradicts I believe it's like because the you, first part of that I agree it says he, it he will go like and he's going to it's he's going to violate a law. God foreknew that that was going to happen and it was part of his plan that that would happen. He didn't make that happen. He didn't tell them to do it. That's that's the no, second the part. No, the Lord I'm, designed. Don't, it literally says yeah, but the Lord the first designed part, that the they should part. do this. When Adam was sent it was into with the, the understanding world, that he would go and he would violate, he would a, law. violate a law. So did he not understand so I, that he was going to go violate a law when he was being sent down? Well, my understanding is that's God's understanding. God, know, hey, like you did, 
God's foreknowledge isn't wrong, right? So God's like, hey, this is going to happen. He's going to go down. This is going to happen, right? But the question is, why did that happen, right? Did did Eve know, hey, I really need to eat this apple because God really wants me to, even though he told me not to? I Again, I don't agree with that. Some people in my church, when you have the fall being necessary, they probably come to those conclusions. I, I don't think that's what okay. we see in our scripture. In our scripture, it says, oh, after I ate, then I knew, oh, we wouldn't have had children without doing this. So it was after she ate that we see in our scripture that she she knew it was something he had to do, not before. Okay. All right. Well, so um, – all right. So I'll move on. Does Genesis 1 happen before the fall or after? I'm assuming you're going to say after or before. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Genesis 1 happened before the fall. Okay, so, well, we all know that in Genesis 1, God commands to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Why would he tell yes. mankind that prior to the fall if they aren't able to do that? Um, I mean, because that's that's the intent of their creation, right? I mean, in our, in our understanding is he put them there and so that they could be the parents of humanity, right? Now— his understanding was that and, wasn't going to happen in the garden, but it still was going to happen. So, but my thing is, all right, so you they placed them in the garden. You told them, um, I need you to multiply, fill the earth, and uh, have children, okay? But then they're not able to do that. And so, but then you want them to do that, but then you give them a conflicting command by say, well, don't eat the fruit. Um, making them stay in the garden to not being able to fulfill the command to have children. I, I just don't see how that is not a contradiction. Can you help well, resolve I don't, I don't that? See it as a, well, I don't see it as a contradiction because, I, I mean, you can see it as that if, if you want. But again, if you take that quote that I shared from um, St. John, I think it's Chrysanthemum or something. I get his name wrong. He says they don't have any bodily lusts, right, or bodily needs. Um, and the, we believe that, you know, if you read the scripture, it says it's after they partake of the fruit that they realize, Hey, we're like, we're naked and they're ashamed of it. They didn't understand that beforehand. Like, so that's our understanding is they, they weren't in the state. They didn't understand that they were naked beforehand in order to, and that's kind of a prerequisite to, to having children, I would say is okay. Um, okay. to have that bodily need, that lust, that understanding. So, and um, lust isn't a rightful, a rightful lust, not, not as a sinful lust. Okay, so God punished Eve during for painful childbirth, and it says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So God says he'll multiply her pain, as if there was already some pain present during her childbirth. Um, so if this wasn't happening pre-fall, then why would God punish her with something she never experienced? And why would he add upon it or add, to, add it if it wasn't possible or she had no recollection or she was too much— you know, too childlike, too innocent to realize that there would be pain. Why would he add that? Well, I mean, so I, I, I've heard this a number of times, um, many times actually. And then again, I, I'm not asking you this question. It's just rhetorical, rhetorical. Um, uh, but where are the, where are the children, right? They bring this up and then in nowhere in scriptures that say, Oh, we actually had children. And then if they did, did those children eat of the fruit or was it, you know, is there divided humanity? Are, are there people who aren't fallen that we don't know about because they had kids who didn't eat the fruit? So these are issues. Well, and these are says, answer. I'm just saying these are issues that come up. Well, I feel like I should. Well, you can't. I was just saying, like, even if you 
well, yeah, I understand. I like e- even if that were the case, um, that happened anyways. Adam ate the fruit, and here we are, all these years later, you know, reaping the consequences. So, um, I'm sure that would have no problem if Adam and Eve's um, children ate the fruit. Then Adam and Eve probably would have dealt with the consequences as well. Um, I'm just. I think that kind of dodged the question, though, because uh, just because the Bible doesn't mention something doesn't mean I mean, Cain's over here, um, you know, he murders his brother and he goes off to some city. So for all we know, there, you know, they they did have children in the garden or there were other families in the garden. Um, you know, we don't know uh, just because the Bible doesn't say something we shouldn't assume. So I'm just basing basing on the text that says that he will multiply her pain and childbearing. That assumes that there's pain in childbearing or that she had some knowledge of childbearing prior to the fall. Would you would you not agree with that? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily mean that, uh, mean that it could have just been God saying, well, I mean, childbearing is going to have pain, but we're going to make it worse now. Right. So I, I don't think it. you have to read from that saying, oh, well, she she had kids before because he's going to multiply childbearing pains. Well, you know. That could just be like, hey, it wasn't going to be as bad. Now it's going to be worse. You know what I mean? Well, I, then how sure, would? I, but my, but my, but my thing is, you wouldn't know that there was pain in childbearing unless you either gave gave birth or you watched someone else give birth. So either way, she had. It's implying directly implying that she would have had um, knowledge of pain or the or or something of childbearing. I mean, I I don't see how that cannot be gleaned from the from the text. I mean, what's your thoughts? Um, I mean, I, that that is a possible interpretation. Um, that's not how we would interpret that text. Again, like, you know, where 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 are the children? And then I think that causes a lot of a lot of issues. Even if they didn't fall and they had children, um, so so you're saying that, everything I mean, everything, everything has questions. to be mentioned in the Bible. So everything has to be mentioned in the Bible for it for it to happen. No, um, but I, I was right there. I was saying the, the logical understanding of if they had children, um, but you know, before and they didn't fall, then there would be issues with that as well. Would they have free agency? That's what I was trying to say. Um, but no, everything does not All need right. to be mentioned word for word. All right, that is time, guys. Thank you for a great cross X. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I'm sure the live audience did too. Mm-hmm as well so now what we're going to do is transition to the rebuttal uh, not rebuttal but the closings uh these are five minute closings and then we have a 30 minute q a so audience i think i have a total of about four questions already uh that's not enough so you guys yes, in the audience please get those questions in because we do want to have a great q a um uh after the closing so there with that said uh swinson you are up first for your five minute closing and then uh, we'll have a great Q&A after they're completely closing. Uh, so let me get your time set up here. Make sure I got it right. All right, Swenson, you got it for five minutes and I'll start your time as soon as you begin to speak. Um, okay, so there, there might've been some confusion between Andrew and I and how we were going about this topic of this debate. Um, so I was focus, focusing mainly on the fall the necessity of the fall because i feel like um even though we latter-day saints we we have our own understanding through the book of mormon of certain topics of uh the fall being necessary 
if the fall is necessary in general, that's pretty um, congruent or pretty similar to our understanding. Um, and it seemed like in the cross-examination that Andrew had issues answering the question of, you know, if a, a Christian, let's say a Trinitarian, a Catholic or a Presbyterian or whatever denomination, if they said, yeah, I believe the fall is necessary, as John Wesley um, did, then um, he, he was willing to say, oh, well, you know, I'll just have to talk to him. Yeah, I could, maybe we could see about his understanding of what that means. Um, so I, I found that interesting, right? So we believe the fall is necessary. We believe, we, we didn't, I didn't get into this in the cross, but we don't believe in incarnation anyway, right? I, I believe there's many issues with that. Incarnation anyway is, is saying if the fall didn't happen, the incarnation still would have happened, right? We believe that the fall brought about the incarnation and also our deification, sanctification, exaltation, whatever you want to say, through Christ, that that was necessary, that through the fall, every human being was able to be born into a world where they could say yes or no to Christ, right? With Without the fall, that, that, that we don't have that, right? Without the fall, we have, again, by our own works, not taking the fruit, we're going to remain with Christ, right? Or, or remain with God. We're not going to show faith in order to do that or in order to obtain um, a better nature. It's just simply by our own works, not partaking of a fruit. We are staying with God in, in the garden. And I, you know, our understanding is that no, God had the plan for every human being to be able to show forth their free will, to come to earth and to say yes or no to Christ in, you know, in, in mortality. And that determines their eternal destiny, right? So um, I wholeheartedly, um, you know, believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ. And I'm thankful that I was able to be born and have that opportunity. Um, so uh, let's see some other things. Andrew, he kept making it seem that uh, because we believe in the preexistence, then by necessity, we we had to somehow know that Adam was like, I'm going to sin for you, God. Um, again, there's probably, you know, there's there's probably a, an understanding of a large understanding in my church that that possibly could have been how it is. Again, when you believe that the fall is necessary, speculations and understandings like that can arise. Um, I don't think that's necessary or necess uh, or specifically found in Latter-day Saint specific scripture. Um, I think it's okay for us to say, well, we don't know the extent of everything that happened in the preexistence except for God made a plan. And in his own wisdom, the fall was needed in order to bring his children here to earth. That is what we believe. The plan of salvation is that we were with him before and that we needed to be able to show forth our faith in order to become like him. He wanted to grant his um, life, eternal life to all those who could, uh, who apart from him, outside of his influence, could decide to come unto Christ and be changed through Christ. Um, and that is why the fall is necessary, to bring those children of God to earth. That's why we believe that children were needed out, um, were only had outside of the garden, right? So each one could be born into um, mortality and have the probationary period to show forth their will to accept Christ or not, to follow God. Um, so that's basically what we believe. Uh, are there is there anything else I wanted to talk about? Um, uh, yeah, so I, I believe that there's a number of other Christians um, who espouse a necessity to the fall. We agree with them, even though it's it's again, we believe in a preexistence, they don't. There's things that are different, but the necessity of the fall that without it there would be no Christ, 
um, is plain in their teachings, and that is obvious in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon doesn't teach about um, a, a pre-existence per se. Um, so in the Book of Mormon, we see it's a Felix Kulpa understanding because right after it says, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. It says the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time to redeem the children of men from the fall. That is why they fell. That is why they can have joy because through that fall, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ came. And I testify that he is our savior and um, I love him so much. And I'd just like to concede my time with that. All right. Thank you, Swenson, for that closing. All right, Andrew, you're up for your five minute closing and I will start your time as soon as you begin to speak. All right. Well, there was no confusion. The The topic was clear that it's according to the Book of Mormon and vicariously the, the LDS um, faith not in their traditions and not any other denominations. But given that, um, I guess my closer is that the LDS God did not give Adam and Eve a fair chance. It was either disobey him or disobey him. And what kind of system is that? For the LDS faith, free free agency is tantamount. But where was that in, truly in the garden? Why create an environment such as the garden if there was no option to stay and obey his commandment? Sure, Adam and Eve could have not eaten the fruit, but if we take the Book of Mormon's words as truth, then they could have never been happy because they didn't know sadness. They couldn't have been righteous because, and they wouldn't have been able to have children. So the system was kind of rigged from the start. So to reiterate, their system relies on a flawed premise. One, create a world with the need to grow, procreate, and become more like God. Two, the opportunity to do as God wants, such as creating and being righteous, is only possible if you leave the world slash garden God created by introducing sin and death. And three, God tells Adam and Eve to not eat the fruit, alluding that he wants them to stay in the garden with the inability to procreate and be righteous. Much like having children, unless they partook of the fruit, they could not have children. God commanded them not to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so there is a contradiction in the LDS belief that stems from the commandments God gave them. Multiply and don't eat, but you can't multiply until you eat. The fall isn't necessary because it's never necessary to disobey God per the Book of Mormon. Had the LDS God truly been wise, we wouldn't have he wouldn't have created a world with no chance to grow without first disobeying him. The LDS position leaves no room for Adam and Eve to grow, so their premise is flawed to begin with. In order to correct it, they have to throw Christ's sacrifice in, when in reality it's almost treated like a contingency plan. The reason is the LDS Church teaches Adam and Eve came to earth, willing to disobey their God in the preexistence, and Christ is there to give the fallen world a way out. I don't mean to straw man or characterize their belief, but let's be honest, this isn't the gospel. If your system relies on one party willfully disobeying their God, and then that God sends their son to die because disobeying him was necessary, it's backwards. Adam and Eve could have grown in the garden. There was nothing holding them back from that had they resisted the temptation. They either follow God and learn all he wants them to know on his timing, or listen to someone else and suffer the consequences. The true gospel is why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's God justifies the ungodly. I pray that Swinson and all the LDS will know the gospel is that Christ came down to die for our sins and to bring us into communion with him again, not because the fall was necessary, but he's the one that allows for the disobedience 
and he's the allow, he, he's the one that allows for disobedience to flourish for our growth but because he loves us and won't turn his back though he knows we will sin the LDS start with the presupposition that they are becoming gods or like God. It's why they had to disobey God because they need to progress. It's why to them the garden state is a starting point where they are clean and innocent like a blank canvas. However, the Christian presupposition is that God created us to be his image bearers and to have communion with him while also learning to be more like him. That never changed. He foreknew we would sin, and despite that, he justifies us and suffers for us. The, gu the gulf produced between God knowing Adam would fall in creating anyway and God intending Adam to fall is enormous. One has Christ coming to us out of love despite our sin, and the other has Christ coming as a cog in a machine that needed to allow us to grow within sin and death. The Christian position is clear that Adam and Eve were disobedient. This world state results from our separation from God. However, God does not turn his back. There is nothing that he can that, that can truly separate us from God um, when he is on our side and we believe in him. Let us follow him and grow in obedience. Let us learn wisdom and knowledge of good and evil through overcoming temptation. Let us be more like God who forgives our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. In this pursuit, we will never stop learning to be more like God for all eternity. All right. Thank you both for. All right. You're done. All right. All right. Cool. 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 Thank you guys for those closing remarks it was a fantastic definitely appreciate you guys and the time and effort you guys put forth to prepare for this debate and so now we're going to transition to our q a 30 minute q a and so we do have some questions here and so let's get this party going with the questions here let's see and this would be the first question should pop up on the bottom of the screen here at least I think. Let me see. Yep, there it go. Should be coming up. There it go. All right. This question is coming from Fred Bell. Thank you for the question. And this question is for Swenson. Uh, since the God of LDS theology does not predestine all that comes to pass, isn't it more accurate to say that the fall is a result of the will of Lucifer and not of God? And I think this is a two-part question. So... Uh, look like it's one or two here. Um, I don't think I see the second part of that question. But if you want, you can go ahead and tackle this this part this portion of the question, Swinson. Um, let's see. So since the God of Eliasology does not predestine all that come to pass, yeah. So we're we're not um, we do not agree with Reformed theology in saying that God predestines by making things come to pass. Um, but, um, I mean, yeah, I kind of shared a scripture from LDS specific scripture from the book of Moses that said, um, that in order to, well, from book of Moran, book of Moses, in order to make men miserable, um, that's the Lucifer's plan that Lucifer be, try to beguile Eve, that he beguiled Eve in order to destroy God's plan. But, um, God, God's plan was not destroyed because he didn't know the mind of God. Right. So the the fall as a content was was necessary um, in bringing about the incarnation and the atonement redemption all that through Christ um, and so Lucifer by I would say um, tempting Eve brought that 
brought that about. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that God didn't know it was going to happen or anything like that, because um, he did. It was in his wisdom. But it, yes, it was Lucifer's action. Um, and that's in our scripture, a specific scripture, that it was his action that did um, help further that on. All right. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, one could argue really that um, what Satan did was actually a good thing. You know, not saying he's a good guy, that the others view he's a good guy or anything. But, you know, what Satan did was actually a good thing because, you know, without it, uh, they would have been stayed in this sheltered innocence, unable to know joy and righteousness and stuff. So, um, you know, what to me, when I think about it, it's like what Satan probably should have done is just stayed away and not tempt them. So Adam and Eve could have stayed in the garden and unable to procreate and do what God intended to do. Um, that would have been something Lucifer should have done. But yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Swanson, a lot of these questions are for you. Um, uh, shoot them. That's fine. So it's uh, pretty one-sided, actually. Um, some of these That's questions so here, but I may throw some questions at Andrew to sort of press him a little bit. Uh, let me see, but we'll throw another one at you for now. Oh boy! All right, thank you for the question. And Swanson, can you conclusively say there was only one fall in the LDS theology? Why? I mean, um. I, I guess, uh, yes. I mean, in this, on, on this, um, so one fall in eternity. Um, I'm obviously, uh, not sure about that. I would honestly, to be honest, I would say yes on this, um, earth with Adam and Eve, there's only one fall. There's, they don't fall multiple times. Um, but, uh, we do believe in, uh, God having, uh, children and we believe that there's worlds, um, created uh, without number and that, you know, we, we probably some of those were inhabited inhabited, and we believe that Christ's atonement atones for all those worlds. Um, so could there have been a fall on other, I, I'm possibly, uh, do we know that for sure? I would say not necessarily. Um, but, uh, for what, for what accounts to us, we know that there's Adam and Eve, they fell and that Christ atones for us. All right. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts? Yeah, well, especially when he said that um, there's other worlds and Christ died for their sins in the other worlds, that would assume that there was multiple falls in these other worlds. Otherwise, what was Christ coming to uh, save? It's like his argument for this debate was, you know, the fall and, you know, Jesus coming. So they and the other worlds would likely have to have had fall too. All right, all right. And I guess this is a question for you, Andrew. So we're going to ask it here is to pop up correctly all right what's uh andrew what's your interpretation of revelation 13 8 how was christ slammed before the foundations of the world and what was the implications of this for the future even as the time of even even for the time of adam i like to take that's why i quoted in my uh the my um, I think my rebuttal I used um, Saint Irenaeus that God in His perfect omniscience um, knew of the fall of Adam. Like I said, we don't believe that any of this is Plan B, that Jesus is Plan B or anything. This is all part of His plan because of His foreknowledge. So Christ, having been slain since the foundation of the world, um, would lend credence to His foreknowledge. 
And that's would be my answer. And I guess the implication for the future, even in the time of Adam, would still be that because I, you know, he knew that Adam would fall. Um, I guess I'll I'll respond. All um, right, uh, Swenson, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So yeah, I I, I do find this a very interesting verse. It, it talks about how before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. Now, um, Andrew's right. In the classic Christian worldview, God has perfect foreknowledge, so he could have seen to the future and saw, yeah, like they're going to fall. So let you know, I'm I'm going to have this perfect plan that accounts for that already, and Christ would have already technically been slain um, from the foundation of the future. Uh, I mean, from the world. But the thing is, it's it's semantics, right? They're saying, oh, this isn't a plan B. Um, but the thing is, God's plan A, what God actually wanted to happen was that they don't fall, right? So we believe that it was Christ's incarnation, Christ's um, atonement, uh, his changing of our natures that is that was always God's plan. It was always that. But for Andrew, it seems that, no, God wanted them really to stay in the garden, but he knew perfectly that they would fall, so he, he set up for Christ to come along. All right. And here is another question here. Where are we at? Let's see. Excuse me. Bless you. All right, here's a thank you, thank you. All right, so here's a question for you. Come back, Fred Bell again. Thank you so much for the question. If God has gained his knowledge through a past fall during his own mortal probation, as LDS theology presupposes, then how can God be infinite? Can you get infinity from a finite being? Um, yeah, so I would not say that God gained his knowledge from a past fall. Um, we believe that uh, just as Christ is, so is God, right? We believe that Christ came and he does what he saw the Father do, and he was God before he came, right? And uh, he was incarnated, and he lived a perfect life and um he died and was resurrected um now again there again so uh lds uh, thought is not a monolith so there's other people who probably espouse something that fred here is talking about but um there's also other views like what i'm putting forth where it's like what we know about god is what we see in christ and christ was god before he came um he didn't learn his knowledge through the fall he was you know perfect lived a perfect life and was, had his own power to resurrect himself. So that's that's what I would say um, I know about God the Father. All right. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts? I don't have any thoughts. All right. And here is another question here. Uh, we'll go with this one here. This is for you, Swenson. Uh, do you believe that the devil tempting Adam and Eve was a good thing? It seems like you were relieved that you did not have to answer that question when Andrew asked it originally. Well, I mean, so I, there's, I mean, Andrew literally just said it was, you could see it as a good thing, right? So, I mean, it's just, it, there's things that sound weird to um, certain ears when you say certain things, right? So basically um, it moved forward just like the fall did God's plan. Right. For example, you could say the slaying and crucifix crucifixion of Christ, which was obviously perpetrated by the devil, right, was a good thing because it brought about our atonement. But it was also a bad thing, right? It our our God suffered tremendously, right? 
And he did that for us, right? But it was also the devil who was telling them, hey, you know, let Barabbas go, crucify him, crucify him. Um, so, you know, God means it for, uh, uh, they mean it for evil. God can mean it for good. And I believe the devil's action in him not knowing the mind of God, what God actually wanted to happen, um, brought that about. All right. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts? Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree that, you know, um, uh, the devil didn't have any knowledge. Um, specifically the fall, I mean, I remember, I can't remember exactly all it says, but in, um, you know, the Pearl of Great Price with, with the, um, uh, the fall, like when Jesus put the Satan putting forth a plan and Jesus putting forth a plan and they chose obviously Jesus's plan. Uh, Satan was well aware of the plan. Um, he had to have been, and then there was a giant war in heaven over it and all of us, you know, anyways. So, um, I, that's why I say it's like, basically if, if Satan really wanted to be bad, he probably shouldn't have tempted him because what he did was actually a good thing. All right. All right. And here is another question. For Swenson, it says, I, mean, I want Fred to is on it. Yeah, he's on it, man. Uh, <laughs> Gospel Lucifer says, I want you to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, that your eyes may be open. For that is the way father gained his knowledge. I guess it's more of a statement uh, versus a question. I don't know if you want to respond to it or not, Swenson. Uh, so this is getting to some certain, uh, certain, you know, topic of things i just don't want to talk about too openly um but uh yes i mean so that is something that is uh you know known in lds understanding um again i believe that uh what we see is uh what we see in christ we see in the father i don't know how um christ can do what he does and he sees the father doing it um, and he doesn't need the fall himself to gain knowledge. So I lean to that. Um, there's reasons for that. We see that in like the King Fall of Discourse and certain things. So um, uh, I see where he's coming from, but I just don't uh, agree with that necessarily when there's evidence for the contrary. All right. Andrew, any thoughts? Yeah, it's just, you know. It's like how I said it was like, you know, God is contingent. Um, you know, this is in the Book of Mormon. God is apparently contingent on these other outside factors to exist. And, you know, if all this stuff didn't exist, well, there would be no God. And so apparently, you know, even the Father, who is supposed to be the Almighty, you know, at least for us Christians, transcendent and uh, the only eternal being, had to gain his knowledge. I mean, that, that screams to me uh, finite. Man, right, how about right. Fred ask that, and I'll I'll answer that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Andrew, let me ask you this question. All right. So, you remember the story of Joseph, right, in Genesis chapter fifty? All right. You remember that story? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, being sold into slavery. Right, being sold into slavery. Do you think? I guess it will fall in line with a sort of God determining plan. You know, things to come about in a certain way. Uh, would you say that that was something that God sort of a sin that the brothers did that God sort of fixed and repaired sort of made gold out of rubbish or do you think that was a part of God's divine plan for Joseph to be sold into slavery and so the eventually the becoming of the Messiah down the road obviously because that Jesus comes from the that line that lineage so what would you say what would you say is the was the means or so of God 
allowing Joseph to be sold into slavery in that capacity? Was it done? Uh, did God determine that to happen? Or was it something that God was sort of like repairing the damage, if you will? I think it maybe if I understood it correctly, it maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't believe that the father um, forced them to sell them into slavery, um, uh, you know, Joseph into slavery. I don't think that happened. I think that, you know, God knows everything that we're going to do. He knows who's going to accept and who's not going to accept him. He's going to know what the brothers are going to do to Joseph. And so he's going to use their faults, their weaknesses, and he's going to, you know, mold and he's going to be able to shape and he's going to be able to bring to pass his purpose. Even, you know, it's like, you know, he's he's strong um, in our weakness, you know, through that stuff. So even though they sold uh, Joseph into slavery, God's able to use that for good and bring his brothers in and during the famine and whatnot. All right, so one more question, then I'm going to ask Swinton a question as well to sort of make the scale even here. Uh, so, Andrew, um, was well, it possible? Can I respond to that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure, if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. You got it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of like what Andrew said there. He he said that God can take and he can mold um, certain things, and he can kind of use that in his will. I mean, we see that with uh, with Pharaoh, right? Um, one spot it says God, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and another one – and I guess in some Christians would say that, you know, um, that's the, the spirit being taken away from him or or God allowing him to get hardened in his heart. And that brings about God's purposes in that way. There's, there's different ways to understand that. But um, I believe that it's something like that that brought about the fall necessarily, um, that God's like, hey, this this something needs to happen. And, you know, he didn't tell – this is how, again, my understanding. He didn't tell them, hey, you do this or you're not obeying me, but rather this is going to happen. And um, and it, it happened, as he said, because he knew perfectly it would happen, that the devil's going to tempt them. And obviously he allowed the devil into paradise. Uh, God has power to excel them. We every Christian believes that. Why did why did God let the devil go in there? Because he allowed them to. He he could have taken him out and not let him enter into tempt. But he did. And so we believe, you know, he was molding the situation to bring about the necessity of the fall to bring about Christ. All right. So I guess another question is, is uh, for Andrew, if, and you can chime in too, Swinson, um, could have uh, concerning the fall, right? So we're talking about the fall, even though obviously I'm reformed Calvinist, so I have a different perspective from the Mormon position. But uh, nonetheless, uh, could man's free will have thwarted God's plan? Could, could could man's free will. So so my understanding of your response is sort of that now God didn't determine necessarily to make them do it, right? Uh he didn't say he didn't he didn't put in like he didn't force them to do it, right? Um but it, it, is it possible that the decisions by man could have thwarted that plan that God had had coming about, if that makes sense. So it, it, I, I, this you is know, a question for me. I thought that was a question for Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. And I'm going to allow you to uh, oh, chime in as well, but it's a question for Andrew. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the way I kind of view this, I think I mentioned it in the other response, is like, you know, um, you know, God knows of all the paths we are going to take, and he's going to predestine us into those paths. Um, so I don't think someone's free will can um, thwart 
God's plan. Um, I mean, how could something because that I think to me that just assumes that God didn't know the that decision that was going to thwart his decision. So it's like, is he even sovereign to begin with? So uh, I don't think no, free will can ever thwart what God's going to do. He's all powerful. Swanson, any thoughts? Um, uh, no, I, I mean, I don't think that free will will ever thwart God. I think God is, you know, sovereign and powerful enough to, to have his will um, always be brought about. Um, I, I think something that needs to be noted, I guess, in this topic is that Andrew believes that um, God perfectly foreknew that they would fall. Right. And so uh, there's no there's never a question of, well, is their free will going to, you know, did, could they have chosen the other way? And would that have thwarted God's plan? Because God foreknew that. Well, we also believe that God has foreknowledge and he knew that without a doubt they were going to fall. So his kind of whole argument of, well, they could have chose otherwise and that would have thwarted his plan. Well, we don't believe that because we believe that God knows that. Yeah, they for, sh- for sure they were going to fall. OK. All right. Um I guess another question that comes out of that then is that as it concerns the fall, if God, God absolutely foreknew that they were going to fall, was it simply that he foreknew, like he just knew he had knowledge of future events to say that, oh yeah, they're going to fall. Or did God foreknew, he foreknew to fall, but he foreknew it in the grand scheme of things that this was a part of my plan for them to fall. Cause it seems to me that if we just, if we just land on foreknowledge and we just say that God foreknew it. And so God put all the circumstances together and you know, if God just determined all the circum or put all the circum, all the circumstances, he knew that the circumstances were, were going to come about and he's going to foreknew, he foreknew what was going to come about. It seems to me that that God is, is sort of reliant on the free will decisions of man to bring those things about. That, that's what it, that's what it seems to me. And this is obviously what I would would press and argue those who are not necessarily Mormon or Eastern Orthodox. I would definitely press my Arminian brothers in the same category um, as it concerns simple foreknowledge. Um, is it that God simply foreknew it? Um, and so he sort of sort of put everything in place so that his foreknowledge would not be flaunted by man's free will, or was it that God brought these things about because there was a plan beforehand and these things were to come about according to his foreknowledge. So like the Calvinists would say that God's decree, right? God's, God has a decree and his foreknowledge, his, 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 degree, his, his knowledge flows from his decree. His decree is basically his, his plan that he had before the foundations of the world. So would you say, Andrew, uh, that that flowed from his decree? Or would you say, nah, there's no decree. And this is simply man's, uh, God's having knowledge of future events and man's free will is sort of aligning with those future events. I don't know. I, I, I don't really deal with a lot of uh, Calvinistic stuff, um, but... Is it wrong to say a little bit of both? I mean, is it because either 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 you have you have God completely um, controlling everything, 
you know, to the nth degree, like how much is God decreeing in my my life right now? Is God decreeing that I'm sitting here talking to Marlon and Swinson? Did God, did God decree that or is, was that part of my free will? Um, so I guess maybe it's a little bit of both. I believe that, you know, Jesus was decreed to have done that. But I believe to a certain extent as well, it's almost in a response to the inevitable fall of man. But so I, I like I said, I think it's a, a little bit of both. And it, it, whenever whenever you're bringing this up, it kind of reminds me of, you know, how when um, Abraham is talking with Yahweh and he's talking God down, you know, he's conversing. He's kind of not I wouldn't say changing his mind, but he kind of is. He's talking him down. He's influencing God to be like, oh, if there's 10 people, if there's five people and, and Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's, it's kind of like that. OK, uh, Swenson, any thoughts? Um, yeah, so I, let's see, um, hmm. I, uh, I don't necessarily think that it's just God saying, well, in, in our understanding, it's not God saying, oh, I foresaw this is going to happen, so let's make it happen, right? Um, we definitely believe that God has a plan of salvation, and that spans to a pre or more, uh, pre-earth life. And spans into the eternities, right? So God wants to take us from where we are and use mortal life and the power of his son, Jesus Christ, to change our eternal nature so that in eternities we can become like him, right? So the fall, we would say, God brought that about by necessity to bring about his plan. But it was, I would say, through the free will of Adam and Eve, because again, they they didn't, I don't believe they knew in the garden they had to fall. And then the free will of the devil saying, hey, I'm going to try to, you know, make men miserable and destroy God's plan. Now, did he did he know exactly what God's plan was? There's, you know, there's debate about that. But for sure, his whole idea was, I'm going to make men not follow Christ as much as possible. And that's what he's doing in life. He wants us not to follow Christ. And when we do that, our eternal destiny is completely ruined. All right. All right. All right. We're going to end that here. Uh, we're going to let that, that, that one jive here because... I believe Swenson, you have to jet out, right? You have to give a pretty much jet out right at the top of the hour here. So I'm not going to yeah. hold you, hold you too long. But nonetheless, this has been a fantastic debate, a very interesting debate. Obviously, LDS doctrine or Eastern Orthodox Calvinist doctrine would be would definitely many areas would differ, disagree. But nonetheless, I think it was a fantastic conversation, and I do believe that uh, not only myself but the audience definitely got a lot out of this debate as a whole. Because when we begin to talk about the fall of man, a doctrine of of sin entering into the world, things like that, you know, it can be a very complicated conversation. It, it create it can create a lot of tension as well. So I do appreciate you guys for being able to be uh, keep yourself under control. The decorum was great. And I always look at that uh, whenever guys come on, because that is initiating another invite to come back on. Whenever I see two competitors, two debaters able to control themselves and behave, mature, and talk about things they disagree with, uh, disagree on. So uh, you guys, before I let you guys go, you guys have any closing words uh, before you guys jet out? Um, yeah, I'll just go real quick. Uh, Marlon, thank you again. Um, like I told you before we started the show, I've been watching you for years and never thought I would be on this side you know, of the whole program actually being a debate. And uh, it's great. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, what you do here, bringing all this together. And thank you, Andrew, for inviting me to do this debate. It was my first debate ever. And uh, I think it went pretty well. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. This debate went really well. It went as expected, which you know we 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 thought was going to you know turn out well, and it did. And like I said, I just want to thank Marlon again. You know, it's my second time on the show, so um, you know, thank you so much. And like like Swinson, like I watch this stuff all the time, so it's a pleasure to be on here. And thank you, Swinson, for agreeing. All right, guys. Good stuff, guys. You guys go ahead and enjoy the rest of your evening, and I will be talking to you guys soon. You guys take care. All right. You too. Yeah, have a good one. All right. All right, folks, another debate in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed it, because I did. It was a lot of fun to me. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the, the conversation when it concerns, you know, uh, the fall of man, um, the doctrine of sin, coming, this doctrine of sin, sin coming to the world. When you begin to talk about infralapsarianism, superlapsarianism, when you begin to start throwing all these terms around, all these different philosophical ideas as well, when you start throwing these things around, it can be confusing, right? It can be really confusing. And then you have to go back and sort of study and come back to the question again. And that's not a bad thing, right? Um, that's what these debates are designed to do, right? The debates are designed to challenge your perspective, right? They're designed to challenge your initial presuppositions and that what you is what you believe in true, right? Um, of course, many people walk from these debate, walk away from these debates, not necessarily changing their positions, but nonetheless, it should drive them to, into further study, right? It should drive them into further thought to make sure that what they believe is is correct, right? Uh, the last thing we want to do is be stubbornly in our position and not willing to in interrogate or negotiate with other perspectives to see if what we believe in is true. I can tell you for certain that when I became a Christian, um, I investigated Christianity as well, right? I didn't just take it for granted and say I'm a Christian because I grew up in a church. No, I think that's a poor way to do it. And that's how you build a lot of false converts. Those who are just growing up in a church or growing up in these perspectives and not really challenging the perspectives. This is how you grow into a false understanding of one, your position and just overall a false conversion. I think as a Christian, it's vitally important that we challenge our own thoughts and challenge our own presuppositions, challenge our own perspective, perspectives, because I think not only does that give us more faith within our own faith, like if we come to the conclusion that our faith is correct, it confounds our faith, it solidifies our faith, but I also believe that it gives us an honest perspective of our faith. It allows us to be able to better articulate our faith, our faith when we study, right? When we look into our perspectives. And so obviously from a Christian perspective, we disagree with the LDS church. We disagree with Jehovah's witnesses. We disagree with Unitarian Unitarianism. We disagree with all these perspectives, right? And even if we disagree and if, even though we hope that they come to the true and living salvific work in Christ, it's nothing wrong with interrogating those perspectives. Uh, it, uh, it's nothing wrong with sort of inviting the challenge on to yourself, right? And saying, you know what? I may disagree with LDS doctrine, but you know what? Let's see if they got something right, right? Let's see what they do have right. Let's see what they do have wrong. And so I think that's a better way as a Christian to grow in our knowledge it's a, it's a way to grow and prepare ourselves for what's to come. And uh, I think it's I think it's great that we uh, do these type of things. And that's why I host these debates, because I want to encourage you as the listener, as the audience, as a follower, as a supporter of this ministry. I do want to challenge you to study. So if you walk away from this d debate 
an interaction and you still don't understand the LDS position on the fall of man, check it out. If you walk away from this perspective and not really understanding the Eastern Orthodox position of the fall of man, check it out, right? These things are designed to challenge you and push you in the area of study. And so it's always good to, to study these areas that you disagree with and those that you agree with. So you don't miss out on something that's beneficial for you, whether you're once again, Latter-day Saint, Eastern Orthodox, or if you're with me on my side, a reformed Calvinist, right? So make sure that you guys are pushing through and studying what you have to study, right? Most, most importantly, obviously, not this. Don't, don't study theology first. Don't study philosophy first. Study the scriptures first. The scriptures are authority. It's a sole and fallible rule of faith that we have, right? The scriptures, right? And so make sure that you study the scriptures first. That is the foundation of all of the knowledge that we embrace, right there, right? That's the foundation. So. With that said, I'm going to get out of here. And I thank you once again for joining me on the Gospel Truth. I appreciate you. Thank you. And somebody's late to the party. <laughs> Come on, hello, y'all. You late, Common Sense Christianity. You super late, buddy. You are super late. This is the end of the show. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You're so late. But it's all good. It's all good, man. You're catching on the next go around, man. Yeah, yeah, you'll catch them next round. But anyway, uh, you guys take care. I'm out of here. May God bless you. May God keep you. And once again, if you have yet to do so, make sure you subscribe to The Gospel Truth and hit that notification bell. If you have yet to do so, make sure you do it. Don't forget to do it. It's subscribe and notification bell, right? You guys take care and God bless you.